the beauty of being in Western Australia is you actually get to do a podcast face-to-face with one state team coach, Kurt Russell, the West Australian state head coach, is in, in-house. Kurt, thanks for coming along. No, thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate it. The, uh, the tournament's coming up very, very quickly. Um, most teams that I've spoken to have just sort of been putting the finishing touches on preparation. How would you classify your preparation in the lead-up to this tournament? Uh, if I'm being honest, I'd say this is probably the best preparation a WA women's team's ever had in the history of this, this tournament and our program. So, you know, we were able to really get on board a little bit early. We've been planning for this since last year and the work we've done through winter. Um, and then it was just a matter of how many players we could get down to tryout. So we are able to double that this year. We had 20 tryout for 16 last year and this year we had 40 tryout for 16 spots so we had a pretty good indication of what we were going to get and then it was just filling out those back two to four players and and then building up a program about how we can get them ready so each player has a general understanding of their role and putting them in a position to compete bit of confidence there mate chalk you up for a win what are we what are we predicting here Uh, a lot of confidence that's good a lot of confidence so let's let's unpack that a little bit um you said you had 40 players turn out for tryouts that's a that's a pretty big number how do you go about taking that number down to something that's manageable and then i'm i'm quite interested in how you put a team together obviously it's yes you pick the best players but you've also got to think about tournament baseball where there's games every day people who can both pitch hit you know fill multiple roles so how did you go about taking the squad from 40 and, and were you surprised you got 40 people at tryouts um and how do you take it from 40 all the way down to selection. Um, it all goes back to the very start. So for us, a big part of what we're trying to do this year, we want to, I wouldn't say fix, but really develop the culture of our program. Um, we're trying to make it a destination program. We've got a lot of young women coming up through baseball in Western Australia, and we want to make it a program that they're all striving to be a part of, uh, not, a, not a program where they feel like they have to be involved in a clique or be around a certain amount of time. And I think the age of our squad really shows that, that we're willing to reward the ones that put in, the ones that work hard and the ones that really show that they can play a role for us. So what I did, we have a core group of players that have been around this squad for a number of years that are still pretty much all under the age of 25. And I said to them, we sat down in winter and I said, like, this isn't my program, the way this program's been run in the past. It's always been the head coaches come in. It's their domain and it's my way or the highway. I said, this is your program. I can put 10 years into this program leave and you're still going to be there so we need to start putting some onus back on you girls to help us drive this culture in the direction we need it to be and then they just went out and did it all so the reason we had 40 players at tryouts is because they just promoted it from within the women's community of wa so two of them well three of them in particular like megan haggett grace pano and kelsey brennan they just they just went on a recruitment drive essentially told everyone about how good it is the direction we're heading and that's how we ended up with, with 40 names down for trials. Well, I like the expression destination program. What what makes a program a destination program? Like what what is the magnet that draws players to it? Obviously it's, you know, organization and, you know, good equipment and all those types of things, but but what is it that pulls people in and makes them want to be there? Uh, I think for us, one thing that people in Australian women's baseball will attest to is WA seemed to always have the most fun. So for us it was a matter of going Right, that's one thing we're known for. Now, how do we go about taking the baseball side of the, the program to the next level? 
and a lot of that is the other coaches, the people we get involved. Uh, we can touch on it a bit later, but obviously the coaching staff we have this year bringing a lot of talent and, and a lot of knowledge to the table. It's about putting a full package together where these young girls can go, okay, I can buy into a program where, A, I'm going to have a lot of fun because I'm under the age of 19. I still want to be enjoying my baseball. I don't want my baseball to be a grind. And B, I'm going to be put in a position where there's enough structure that I've never been exposed to before that I can really start to elevate my baseball. So I had a big chat with all of our girls and a lot of it was based around what are your goals? Like where do you want to get out of baseball? Whether that be a three to five to ten years, what do you want to do? And allow them to realise that there is actually a pathway for them, Mm. whether it be here or elsewhere. And that we can put the building blocks in place to help them actually attain their goals and put plans in place that they can see in front of them. And is the West Australian female program aligned to the West Australian male program in terms of high performance with the strength and conditioning elements or is it two standalone, you know, initiatives? Um, I'd say it's standalone. Like the bridge between the two is myself because I'm in both programs. So that's where kind of a lot of... A lot of the hitting work we did this winter was stuff that I've picked up through AK and working with AK through the male high performance program. And then we've kind of rolled that into the girls and then really started to individualise our approach to hitting so that we're not rolling out a cookie cutter program. Um, Strength and conditioning at this point in time, it's still up to themselves. I'll write programs for individual girls that seek out help that want to get in the gym and want to get a bit stronger. But you know, outside of that, it's it's uh, pretty much on their own for the high before, well, the strength conditioning side of our program. So I won't make you say it. You can just blink, but there is a bit of work to be done to bring the female side of things up to match the male performance program. Uh, there's a bit of work, but um, like I'll give a massive shout out to BWA. Their support of our programs phenomenal. Like Tamika Whitefield and Lockie Dale have been nothing but supportive of us. Mm. You know, they allowed us to train right through winter, no questions asked. They gave us facilities. They gave us time and they basically gave me a free reign to go in and put a bunch of work into all those girls that made the showcase last year and to provide them with a basically a high-performance program built around the women. Didn't cost them a thing. I did it all for free. And they just put everything in place to allow me to do everything I needed to do. So they're definitely 100% committed to developing women's baseball in WA and also the high-end women's baseball in WA. Um, there is still some work to do, and we got some we got some ground to make up. But mm. definitely, the building blocks and the right people are, are are really there to try and make it head in that direction. So you've referenced a couple of times winter work. How long has the I guess the preparation been in place for this tournament? When did you when did you so start the, bringing them together? The core of our playing group have been practicing since four weeks post showcase, which was when. Uh, that's a great question. That would have been, it was like two weeks post-Nationals last year, I believe. Yeah, right. So we shut down for about four weeks and then um, we got right after it. Mm, right. So it's significant preparation. So then with this, you know, the 40 girls who are all recruited to come and try out, how did the, how did the team building go in terms of coaching staff identifying, well, these are the elements that we need? How do we, you know, with every, with every, representative team there's there's players who select themselves like they're just talented they're going to be there you know how much work was there around that core group to fill out the rest of the team and and i think one of the pieces is often um missed by 
spectators, parents, supporters, is the amount of thinking that goes into it with the coaching staff. It's not just show up on the day and select a team. Like there's debates, there's arguments. Yeah, what was that like in terms of putting a team together? So I've done a lot of tournament ball. I've been coaching tournament ball for nearly 10 years. So I've got a pretty good understanding about how to build these rosters and that's all just through making mistakes along the way and learning from those mistakes. Um, and then one thing a lot of people wouldn't understand, they, they see a team get posted on social media and they go, how does X, Y, and Z not make that team? Every team I've ever selected, there have been better kids left out so and worse kids make the team. And just like some insight as to why that happens, we've got to justify how am I going to put these players in a lineup? How am I going to get them playing time? So we play in a tournament where there's no mandatory play. I don't want to take players away to give them a terrible experience so then they don't come back. Mm. So I've got to justify how do I get you in the lineup. So if you play a role where there's four players in front of you, I'm not going to get you in that lineup. And if I don't feel like we have enough time to transition you to a new position in a new role and to be able to get you good enough to compete in that role, then there's no avenue for me to play you. So unfortunately, you're going to miss out on that team. Mm. And there are going to be other players that you're a better baseballer than that are able to play the roles where we're not as deep. And that's how those players get get in front of you. So we kind of, we really strip it down. Obviously, we've got to make sure we have enough arms. Tournament baseball is all about arms. You've got to have arms. If you don't have arms, you're in trouble. So obviously, you've got your top-end arms. And then from us, it's about, we're kind of taking similar approach to what's made uh, the Victorian team so good for so many years. And we want to get a bunch of pitchers that blow the strike zone up and then trust our ability to play defence. So we're, we're kind of moving a little bit towards that model. So we pick players around that. So we want to make sure that if you're a bench player for us or a fringe starting player, you have to pitch. I'm going to make a very rash assumption, but crush me if I'm wrong here, but I'm assuming there's not a lot of home runs hit at a women's baseball tournament. You're not correcting me? Um, well, that depends. It depends. If they play on a field the same as they did for the showcase – Good luck containing my offense. Well, okay, so we'll hang. We'll just this is future prediction, but I'm, let's get back to my rash assumption. Um, I'm assuming there's not a long, lot of long balls hits. So therefore, in building out a tournament team, where you're saying that you are looking for pitchers who throw a lot of strikes and playing defense, will you sacrifice some offense to ensure that the defense is there, or have you been fortunate that you've been able to select players who can hit and play defense? I'd say we're a little bit more towards the second of those two. Mm. Um, this is the deepest offensive lineup we've had in, I'd say, the modern era. Obviously, the program goes back quite a bit of time that I wasn't involved in, so I'm not going to speak about teams that I'll, I don't know about. But in definitely in the last five, six years, I don't think we've had an offense stronger than what we've got now in terms of depth of the lineup and then players that aren't even going to be in the starting lineup that have the potential to swing those sticks. Um, offensively, we're. We're taking a bit of a different approach this year. We've always tried to really drive baseballs and, and get after balls and probably try to hit things a little bit too hard. We want to really kind of emulate kind of what Japan did in the WBC and have that next player up. Like you watch their lineup and every single player stepped in the box trying to hit a single. Mm. With the exception of Shohei, everyone else was trying to hit a single. And it's that they just have a core belief that if I can get the next person up, with a chance to drive someone in, then we can get it done. So mm. we, we kind of, um, we got a motto called change the score. So depending on where your mics are, you might pick up a bit of it 
from our audio from our dugout, but we really talk about each hitter, how we go about changing the score. So whether that's getting someone on, getting someone over, or getting someone in, pitch to pitch, our approach offensively is changing depending on what we can do to change the score. And that's kind of how we drive our offense. Mm. The, I guess we just want to hone back in on pitching because, you know, as you said, you've been around a lot of tournaments and you can, and tournaments are often won or lost on how a coaching staff manages their arms. And, um, you know, do you, how many pitches do you actually take away? What's your assumption on how many pitches you actually need to use to get through a tournament like this? It's interesting. Um, I'd say we've probably got two players on our roster that don't pitch. Right. So we've got so at least 14. Yeah, yeah, extraordinary depth then. Yeah. yeah. Probably have three or four POs and then a heap of two-way. Mm. Yeah, so the, the depth is there to kind of get you through every situation. The other bit that um, I've, I've touched on with a couple of coaches before, but I think, once again, a lot of spectators perhaps don't appreciate this, is the amount of planning that goes into – I always call it attacking the schedule. So – you as a coaching staff, you know, team selected, that's all well and good. Now we need to attack the schedule as in what are the games we think we should win? How do we deploy a pitcher to that? Um, so it's there's a bit of arrogance there as well, which is well, we think we can get these games. This is a game we're not 100% on. Maybe we don't waste our best arm here, there and everywhere. But then underneath that, you need to have strategies on – well, hang on, if this game gets away from us, what do we do with the pitcher? Do we leave them in and they, you know, roll up their pitch count? You know, what sort of planning goes into that sort of arm arm planning, attention, uh, schedule attacking where you're trying to figure out how you deploy the best usage of your pitching stuff? Yeah. Um, so I've already planned all my arms. We've got about three different plans. So we'll see how we start day one. Obviously a pretty tough game against New South Wales. That'll kind of set us up for how aggressive we need to be in the games following that. Mm. And then, you know, tournament baseball, you, you can't bank arms for the for the last day. Mm. You know? There's no point having arms and shit if you're not going to get there. So depending on what we do day one with the way our schedule's set, that'll really determine how hard we got to go and what we're going to have left on the last day. Um, in terms of the plans themselves in-game, I'm very fortunate I've got... I've got quite an analytical mind, so I've got the ability to hold our plans in my head without having to reference paper in the middle of a game, and it's one of my strengths as a coach. So I generally have the ability to work a couple of innings in front of the game in terms of knowing, A, when we've got to pull triggers pitching-wise, B, when we've got to take chances offensively, knowing what the other team's got in the back end of their pen, etc. So um, in terms of managing the arms, it makes life a lot easier for me. Obviously this year... I got a pitching coach in like Rally Pelkinen who just went away with the sixteens. So he's got a bit of experience himself as well. You know, that was a twenty man roster. Mm. That's a tough staff to manage. So, you know, he's already had that experience under his belt. Me and him have coached together a few times before in the past in some WA programs. So we're really on the same wavelength already about what arms in what games, mm. what arms in what situations and who to go to when depending on where runners are. So I think from our perspective, we're pretty well lined up to manage that. You made, I'm going off the script a little bit here, but one of the points you just made was sort of knowing what's in the opposition's bullpen. Um, how does how does scouting or understanding your opposition work in tournaments like these where, particularly through COVID, you haven't had a lot of tournaments, uh, you may not know where the talent is dispersed around Australia. How do you, 
do you just roll into every game and say this is our best lineup? Have at it, or how do you how do you best prepare for the opposition team? So we're fortunate a little bit in women's baseball that there are a lot of repeat names and have been for a lot of years. So it's a bit easier to get that information than there would be in other tournaments gone by. Obviously, 18s this year, I was involved in that staff and that was a little bit of a different situation in terms of um, pulling data because, again, we haven't had nationals for mm. two or three years, whatever it was. Charter tournaments gone by, generally speaking, it's not that hard to look at the numbers. And I don't look at the numbers a lot, but there's certain numbers I do look at that let me determine who is or isn't a guy that's going to get it done for another team. You can generally pick around the top five without even seeing a team play and know roughly what arms they're going to come at you with. You know. So let's get into some of your players. And yep. and they all love hearing their names, so far away. Um, on the West Australian team this year, who are you looking to sort of really carry some of the load and, and you know who are the names we should be looking out for in the squad? Oh, there's there's a number of players that have been around for a, for a while, and I think people forget how young these players really are. Like like Caitlin Hine, and I think she's 19 off the top. Of my, I'm probably going to get half these ages wrong, so bear with me on this. Sorry, ladies. Disclaimer. <laughs> um, you know, she's only 19. She's been around forever. Like, she started playing at 15, I believe, mm. Open Women. So she's already had a number of tournaments under her belt. The next group, you got, like, Kelsey Brendan, Megan Haggett. They're both... 22, 23. So now you're getting to a point where you're not meant to mention ladies' names, so uh, ages. So we just stop the ages and just talk about. Oh, think, oh we, should, we should be right. We've <laughs> only got we've only got one player over 25. So oh, okay, then. yeah, we're, good. we're pretty good, good in, that, go. in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not not too bad. Um, so you got those two there. Megan, Megan's an interesting one because Megan's someone that for years has been a catcher as a primary position. Um, dabbled a little bit in pitching and. We've really flipped the script on her and made her take up pitching as a number one position and she's ran with that and some. Um, so she's going to be a player that I think is going to come out and surprise a couple of teams this year. So I, I don't have no issues with them having that information because they can know what's coming, but hitting it's probably a different story because their stuff's quite electric at the moment. Right. And when you say, like, I know the benchmarks for male Sort of performance. What, what, like in the on the female side of this of the game, what, like what sort of velocities are we talking? Where you're saying that's a good fastball? Um, anyone that's sitting around seventy is generally pretty solid. Mm. So if you, there'll be a few girls sitting like mid sixties, and then if you can run it up past seventy, generally speaking, that's some some pretty decent velo. I'd say we've only got maybe ten in the country that are running running the ball up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, lower to mid, well, probably not even mid, low seventies. Mm. So, and I reckon there's maybe five or six of them in my team. So, yeah, right. Look at look at this guy. Um, anyone else that we should be listening out for? Um, yeah, so there's one that's done a lot of work, a lot of work. So she's she's kind of been around, been a bit of a fringe player for a number of years, and then um, went away with the showcase. Had a really good showcase with Adelaide, so that's Grace Spano. Um, She's really struggled in years gone by to crack that starting lineup and be an everyday player. So, I mean, we, we sat down, kind of identified some areas of weakness in her game on both sides of the ball, and she's just got after it. I would go as far as saying she's probably got the the best work ethic of any female player in the country. Right. Like, this woman works incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. Mm. So, 
she's one that's going to surprise a few people. Like, she had a very good showcase and probably turned some heads over in Adelaide. But, like, the developments we've made with her swing, the way she goes about her outfield, um, I really think she's a player that's going to play at a level of baseball that not everyone's expecting. Okay, that's a name that I'll just uh, jot down now, Grace Spano. Um, and I guess the other piece I'm really interested in talking, because because this tournament, well, it's in sort of early April, f- di- almost directly from this is the um, the World Cup and the team is selected out of this tournament, what, without naming names, obviously, because nothing's written in stone, but how many players do you think on your squad have lit- a legitimate shot at an Emeralds position? I reckon we're looking at about six. Yeah, right. Comfortably six, huh? Comfortably, yeah. Mm. And is that players who, is that players who've made the squad before, or these people who are now knocking down the door? Uh, there's a couple that have, obviously. Um, like Elodie's come over from New South Wales. She's been a massive pickup for us, and she's someone that's been around that squad before. Yep. Um, so thanks, Rio. I think it's Rio Tinto for bringing her over. We, we really appreciate that. <laughs> um, but you know, just the way she goes about baseball, she's a She's a competitive beast. So she's been a real good one for our younger girls to see someone that's been around that program for a number of years that's able to, to come in and show them kind of mentally how hard you got to go to get it done. So it's been a really good one for our girls in that regard. Um, and it's been really good because we don't really have a veteran. Obviously, um, we lost Kayla this year. So Kayla's um, hopefully not forever, but uh, moving on to the next chapter of her life. So... Um, I think her, she's having a child there. Her due date's actually during our tournament, I believe. So, obviously, congratulations to them. And uh, she could have DH'd. <laughs> good, good luck convincing uh, Pep that. But <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully, we do get Kayla back at some point because she adds a tremendous amount of value to our team. Mm. So obviously, Elodie being able to pick up that that void, not having that. I'm going to use the term older player quite loosely here. Veteran leadership. Yeah, we'll roll with that. Yeah. Um, having that, that, that's been really good. Because mm. the rest of our leaders are 23 to 25 years of age. Yep. So that's kind of really helped us there. Um, and then we've got a couple of younger players that are really knocking on the door of that Australian squad. You know, a few of them played in the showcase last year. Some of them didn't get what I would say the level of opportunities they deserved to showcase their talent mm. in that particular tournament. Um, that's a conversation for another day. But um, they've all gone to work. They've put in an absolute mountain of work and they're all, they all realise that there's some tremendous opportunities in front of them. They see the pathways in front of them and they're just doing whatever they can, asking all the right questions and putting in the work to really make sure that their name is there and that they're not going to have to rely on playing an exceptional tournament to give themselves mm. a chance to play in the squad that they probably deserve to play in. You're in a, um, not a, I don't think it's a unique position, but you're in a position where you coach both on the male side and the female side, particularly in the performance space. What do you find, what, what do you enjoy about coaching females that it, that's different to males? And, and what do you think, you know, what do females bring to baseball that males don't? Um. This, this team's different. We'll roll with different in the, in the way that they approach their baseball, the way they, the way they want to be treated, the way they want to be respected. It's essentially I've got a group of, of players that they don't want 
there to be a difference between the women's program and the men's program. Like they're constantly asking me, what do we do with the boys? How do we go about this? How do we set up that? So for us, it's really welcoming as a coaching staff that I've got a group of players that they just want good coaches to invest in them and they want to do whatever it takes to make sure that their program is set up the way the boys' program set up. Obviously, WA has been a pretty successful program for a number of years on the men's side. Obviously, there was that bit of domination by New South Wales in the middle, but for the most part of it, they're always around it and they're always competing and our girls can kind of see that and go, how do we emulate that so that we can have a period of sustained success? And that's one thing I really like about coaching this particular group of girls. Um, the buy-in's phenomenal. The buy-in from these girls, like I've said to a number of people, I honestly think I get more buy-in from the girls and some of the boys' coach, teams that I coach. You know, And these are... These are kids that are aspiring to go to college, mm. you know. So their level of buying is pretty high, and and I reckon we've probably had two negative conversations in our entire time for this preparation, where I've said we probably need to be better than what we were. Mm. They just get after it. Mm. Yeah, it makes coaching pretty easy when the team are completely bought in, and and you know you don't have to. There's no, you don't have to focus in on that as a coach. You can really focus in on teaching and those types of things. How do you find, you know, one of the Baseball is a skill. It's a skill game, but it's also a mental game. And a lot of the mental side of the game is built up over time. But a lot of your players are relatively new to the game. Um, how do you find the female players? How how they quickly are they able to pick up instruction or pick up some of those intangibles uh, in and around the game in comparison to to males? It's taken a little bit of time and a lot of challenging. So I've had to challenge a lot of um, perceptions about how they understand the game, how they play the game. The girls will, they probably hate this part of my coaching, but I coach through questions. I ask a lot of questions. And the reason I do that is I want to get a gauge of their understanding of the game. So if I just sit there and just rattle on about philosophy, what we're doing, what this drill is, and I just get a bunch of head nods, I'm not really getting a gauge for how much they actually understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. So I ask a heap of questions and then I'll just keep asking that question until someone answers it correctly. And, and what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to engage them on a level that allows me to understand how much they understand about what we're working on right now. And now I can start to cater my program around the level we're at and then give them a clear indication of the level we're heading to and the steps that are in the middle. So that as we're working from A to B, everyone's on the same page about where we're heading and yeah we're going to do this now but that's the direction <coughs> that, it, that we're heading into that's where we're trying to go so we'll run these particular team plays now because that's where we're at and that's what we're capable of executing and these are where we're trying to get it to we've sort of had you now for a little while and i wanted to wrap up really by talking about tournament baseball it's it's different to the week-to-week um, or seasonal approach. Obviously, you, you know, you're putting a group of players together for a short period of time, away from home. Um, you know, you might not have the greatest first game of the tournament and you as a coach have to sort of keep the ship pointing in the right direction. What, In your experience, and you said you've, you've done a few and across both male and female, what, what are the challenges as a coaching staff to tournament baseball? Oh, the biggest one is just knowing the chemistry. That's the most important thing, and we probably didn't touch on that when we spoke about team selection, but that 
personal dynamic that goes into a big, big factor of what we do. Like everyone's known for years, like a team of champions is never going to be a champion team, especially mm-hmm. in tournament baseball. You know, it's just not going to happen. So if you can nail that chemistry, nail that culture and really lock down what we do away from the field, it really puts them in a relaxed environment to perform on the field. Um, probably the next part for us is uh, we've really elevated our program in a sense that we've got a legitimate trainer this year. So we've got someone that runs our own practice and she's shutting up practice to come over with us. So having that level of treatment between games is something that's going to really help us prepare better. So we've, the way we the way we'd go before game and after game, she's really going to have a say in a lot of that and how we go about making sure that our players are in the best position to perform. And then from there, it's just the ability to ride the wave. You know, nothing we do between now and the end of that tournament is really going to change anything. Like, everyone's rocking up with what they got. Mm. We've, done the, we've done the work. Technically, we're not going to get any better. So from a hitting perspective, I tell my hitters all the time, at this point, it's just about feeling as good as we can with what we got. So you can have the worst swing mechanics in the world, but you need to have the confidence that your swing's as good as my trout's. And if you don't have that, we're in trouble. Mm. It's the same thing for my pitches. So it's uh, the ability to ride that wave, you, you know, there's a lot of ups, there's a lot of downs, but keeping people level, that's that's the hard part of tournament baseball in my book. I think, um, and I talk about it a lot with coaches, you, you, the manager of the team's an amateur psychologist, and, and I think the, um, yeah, half the skill is being able to determine how someone is going emotionally and mentally through a tournament. And I think the other part of it is, you know, wear and tear and workload. Like most players aren't going to want to tell you, oh, coach, take me out. I need a break. They're going to try and battle through. So, you know, as a, as a manager, how do you go, like, getting a read on both their mental and physical kind of level of readiness? Um, I've worked with a few of these girls for a number of years now. I've got a pretty good understanding of a lot of them. Um one thing I kind of implemented really early in my tenure here was like an open door policy. So we talk about anything and everything, baseball wise, and it really just trying to break down the blocks between coach and player. Um, we've got a leadership group as well that really helps us with that. And it just creates a level of comfortability that these girls can come and approach me about things that they'd normally be too timid to talk to a coach mm. about. So breaking that down has really helped a lot because there's nothing in terms of the tournament where they feel like I can't have that chat mm. about even from playing time onwards I'll happily have that chat in the right space with with a player obviously mm. not not in not in a group setting but we can we can have all those conversations and the girls have the comfortability to express certain things and man we've had a number of things pop up in our preparation that I think would never have made their way to a coach in the way we've done it before and there's been a lot of things we need to be able to address, fix and alter that have really enhanced our preparation in that regard. Yeah, I constantly marvel um, how coaching has evolved in a relatively short period of time. Like 20 years ago, you wouldn't even think to approach the head coach about anything mental. And now it's the coach approaching you because they may have noticed something about you mentally. And that's, I think... You know, people say, oh, the game's getting soft, and I think the game's getting better, that our coaches actually understand what struggles players are having and um, helping them deal with them. So I think, you know, I always joke about coaches being amateur psychologists, but they really have to be. And if you're not 
one of those. You're not probably you're probably not going to be a very good head coach. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree with that anymore. Like I I work with a number of athletes across a number of our programs in WA, and there are a lot of these players that I talk to away from the field. Mental approaches, headspace, all that type of stuff, where they have obviously a level of comfortability with myself to have those those chats. I'm someone that's been through a lot myself mm. um, from a mental standpoint. I've <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a journey. Um, so there is a, a sense of relatability there that when players talk to me about these type of struggles, they, they understand they're talking to someone that's been there himself, that's done it. Not easy. Um, and I've got a bunch of skills, essentially, that I use to help myself through a lot of my struggles that I can then pass on to these athletes. And they know it's coming from a genuine place that's really helping them, A, stay grounded and B, stay mindful of where they're at and what they're trying to achieve. And and really, we play a game that's fail-based. And for, for me, it's all about how do we wire brains to think positively over negatively and that's why I love this sport because it's the life tangibles that it teaches you. It's so much bigger than baseball. And through a lot of the skills that we do, trying to get players out of hitting slumps, pitches that can't find it, they're all skills that can go back to day-to-day life, you know, when they are going through, through a rut or something's a bit rough, where they can use those skills and the ability to focus on the positives over the negatives and take that into day-to-day life and, for me, it's the number one reason why I coach baseball. It's not baseball. It's oh, I want to help people become better in day-to-day life. That's that's what I coach. That seems like a pretty good point to end the podcast there, mate. That's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to have a coach sort of uh, articulate why they do what they do. So uh, we really appreciate your time, and we're looking forward to this uh, WA team that you have marked as a as a genuine contender for this tournament. So, uh, Kurt, thanks very much, and all the very best. We hope to be able to speak to you again as the victorious head coach coming out of this tournament. Uh, that that's the plan. So much appreciated. Thank you for your time.